This true crime case is more like a Hollywood movie. It involves plastic surgery disguises, multiple escape attempts, and using a running app to stalk and then murder. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. This show is made from various source documents listed in the show notes. I use news archives, documentary footage, and court documents, and so the episodes are accurate to the source material I can find. Find all the episodes that are on YouTube as a podcast version, all available in the description box below. Anna Maria Wilson, who was known to all of her friends and family, and eventually even professionally as Mo, was born in 1996 in New Hampshire. She had a brother, Matthew, who she was close to, and the pair grew up in Vermont. Growing up, Mo had always loved sports, and at some point, she took a keen interest in skiing. Her father, Eric, was on the Olympic ski team, and so she followed in his footsteps. Mo went to Burke Mountain Academy, a ski school that churned out world-class athletes. She was used to being around the best of the best and was rated incredibly highly on her college ski team. But Mo's skills weren't just in sport. She was also really smart and ended up going to Dartmouth College to gain a degree in engineering. Sadly, Mo was taken out of skiing action by a knee injury, which actually made her retire early. But as part of her recovery, Mo began using a bike through rehab and soon enough, she fell in love with the sport of cycling. Mo got a job as an engineer in a cycling repair shop called Specialized and it wasn't long before she started taking the sport much more seriously. Both of Mo's parents were incredibly supportive of her and soon she decided to quit her cycling repair shop job and pursue the sport professionally. Her next move was to relocate to San Francisco where she was well known in the cycling community and her passion surrounding inclusivity in cycling was something that was just as important to her as her success in winning races. Mo continued to go from strength to strength, either winning or coming second in almost all of the top level races she was entering. Over the following few weeks and months, Mo would go on to compete across the country and in May of 2022, she was gonna be heading to Austin. While she was there, she decided to stay with a close friend who we're going to call Cash. She and Cash had been friends for years and so it just made sense that as she was going to be in Austin, she'd be staying with Cash in her apartment on Maple Avenue. On the 11th of May, Mo let Cash know that she was going to be going out to meet a friend and she'd be back later on. Now Cash was also heading out with different friends and so they agreed to catch up a bit later. Cash then arrived home in the late evening at around 10pm and she walked into her apartment and what she found was a brutal and bloody scene. Inside the bathroom, Cash found Mo lying on the bathroom floor, unresponsive and covered in blood. Cash immediately called 911 and she performed CPR but sadly it was no use. Mo was dead. The investigating team determined that Mo had been shot a total of three times and she had defensive wounds to her chin and one of her fingers. They determined that she had been shot in the chest and in the head and there were three bullet casings discovered near to her body. The investigating team initially thought that this was maybe a robbery gone wrong. The bike that Mo held so dearly to her had been dumped just outside of the apartment in a nearby grassy area. But as the investigating team began to look more closely at the crime scene, they discovered that there was no sign of forced entry 
and there was nothing else that they could see that seemed to have been taken. The robbery theory was looking less and less likely, but that left the question of what the possible motive could be. To figure this out, they had to go back about a year and they went back to a man that Mo knew, Colin Strickland. The pair had met in 2021 and Colin was also a professional cyclist. He and Mo had really hit it off that previous year. Colin had won several races, top level races, and as a result, he had huge sponsorship deals, including one with Red Bull. Now, when Colin and Mo met, she was 25 and he was 35, and the pair ended up becoming romantically involved. But this wasn't a long-term thing. It was a short fling, and it reportedly only lasted around two weeks. Colin had been on a break from his long-term girlfriend, Caitlin Armstrong, and had decided to give that another shot, so he had broken things off with Mo. It seemed that Mo and Colin had remained friends after this two-week fling, and Mo told friends that she looked up to him as a pinnacle of excellence in this field, and that the two did have a professional relationship. They both got on well and were great supports to one another. Colin had also originally started as a hobby cyclist and then transferred into professional and it's likely Mo looked up to him in this regard. The following few months are a little bit unclear in exactly what was going on because they come from Colin's account and they come from text messages and they come from secondhand information. So I'll give you the most accurate possible version from all of those. Colin and Caitlin's relationship was serious. They had lived together, they had a house, they ran a business together. They spent their time renovating old caravans and trailers. That was how they worked. Now, during this short breakup or break, the couple, neither of the couple ever said anything to any of their friends and family. People didn't even realise that they'd been on a break because they were back so soon after and they didn't happen to mention anything. It's not clear how Caitlin found out about Colin and Mo's relationship or fling but she did and so she went onto Colin's phone and blocked Mo's number. Text messages would later reveal that Colin was worried about Caitlin's jealousy stating that he definitely could not tell her the truth about messaging friends that were women and he certainly couldn't have Mo's name in his phone and so if he wanted to stay friends with her then he was going to have to do it secretly He was going to have to lie to Caitlin. He even decided to disguise Mo's number in his phone under a male friend's name. In January of 2022, there was a cycling event in Arkansas and both Mo and Colin would be attending. The pair did end up seeing each other and texts would later reveal that there was some kind of uh, confusion over what was going on between the pair. Mo had sent a message to Colin, quote, Hey, so would like to talk to you at some point. Had originally texted you on Friday, but it appears my texts aren't going through again. This weekend was strange for me, and I just want to know what's going on. If you want to be just friends, seems that's the case, then that's cool. But I'd like to talk about it, because honestly, my mind has been going in circles, and don't know what to think. There are conflicting accounts of what was going on. At this point, both Colin and Mo's families said that the relationship was purely platonic and professional. Mo would often speak about how the pair would talk about sponsorships and biking conversations and also strategizing 
about how they wanted to progress their careers. So that is one version, but also we have these text messages that suggest something else. Fast forward to May 2022, and we know that Mo was going to be in Austin for that competition prep. And so she texted Colin and asked to meet up. Colin had not only changed Mo's number or name in his phone, but he also regularly would delete text messages from her, presumably so Caitlin wouldn't come across them. On that day, Colin and Caitlin went their separate ways, both going on bike rides, but with Colin telling Caitlin that there was a woman in the cycling community who had passed away and he was going to get some flowers. That was what he was doing that day. But instead of going to get those flowers, Colin instead went to the apartment that Mo was staying at and picked her up on his motorbike. And then just before 6pm, the pair went to a local outdoor pool for a swim before heading to a burger joint called Pool Burger to eat. After that, Colin brought Caitlin back to her friend's apartment, travelling on his motorbike, and then left sometime after 8.30pm. Now, after dropping Mo off, he texted Caitlin a lie about where he'd been and added that he was on his way back and he was happy to get food with her if she wanted. As part of the investigation, neighbours had given a CCTV door ring footage from the time of the murder or just after the time of the murder. And on that footage, police saw a jeep circling the premises and they got the registration of that jeep and they traced that back to Colin Strickland. Obviously in this situation, Colin being the last person to see her and a potential love interest, he's always going to be the top of the suspect list. And they also now had this footage of his car near the crime scene after the time he said he left. And so he was brought in for questioning. But Colin revealed that He had gone straight home after dropping Mo at the front door. He'd gone into the garage and he'd actually spent the rest of the night preparing his bike for the upcoming race. He said that Caitlin had arrived a little while after he got home and she could vouch for him being there. But the investigating team checked the CCTV footage from the surrounding areas, including the route Colin would have taken home. And they could see his motorbike travelling back and they later found that he was on the phone to a friend during the time of the murder. So there was no way he could be on his bike and in the car at the same time. And in this police interview, Colin reveals that although the Jeep was registered to him, he rarely ever drove it. In fact, at this point, it was basically Caitlin's car. Detectives needed to speak to Caitlin, but they didn't necessarily have enough evidence to arrest her at this point. And so instead, they brought her in, they managed to arrest her on a a completely unrelated warrant that had been out for her previously failing to pay for a Botox treatment. Caitlin was told that she was free to leave at any time, but they did want to ask her a few questions that were unrelated to this warrant they brought her in on. And she told them a little bit of information about her evening on the 11th of May, confirming that Colin had said about leaving to get flowers for this friend and that he had returned um, a little while later but she hadn't seen him return she'd come back just after him but other than that she was pretty evasive they informed her that the car that she and Colin shared had been seen near to the crime scene but she just couldn't explain why that was and she added that she didn't know where Mo was staying 
She said she didn't even know that Colin and Mo had been speaking at that point or that they'd seen each other. Giving her a kind of prompt, the detective asked why Colin would say that she was the person driving the car, but she simply said she didn't know. And so they asked if she was perhaps just driving around the area and that she wanted to blow off some steam and was upset at Mo having been with Colin that day. And that's when she said that maybe that could have happened, but she didn't really have anything else to add. And it's at that point in the interview that she says that she's just had enough and she wants to leave. And the police had no choice but to let her. They actually couldn't hold her on that warrant that they brought her in on because of a human error. The warrant date of birth for Caitlin was different to her actual date of birth and so they just had to let her go and so she left and when I say left I mean disappeared once the police had managed to get a correct warrant for Caitlin's arrest they couldn't actually find her as news spread about Caitlin being wanted in connection for the murder Colin wrote up a statement on his Facebook and he posted it saying quote I'm reeling from grieving Mo Wilson's death and from the facts that have emerged during the investigation. I cannot begin to imagine the pain felt by Mo's family and her close friends. There is no way to adequately express the regret and torture I feel about my proximity to this horrible crime. I am sorry, and I simply cannot make sense of this unfathomable tragedy. Although it will be a matter of small consolation to anyone else who cared for Mo, I want you to know that I have cooperated fully with investigators ever since I learned the terrible news and I will continue to do so until some form of justice is served. After our brief relationships in October of 2021, we were not in a romantic relationship, only a platonic and professional one. It was not my intention to pursue along an auxiliary romantic relationship that would mislead anyone. Mariah and I were both leaders in this lonely niche sport of cycling and I admired her greatly and considered her a close friend. I am deeply grieving her loss. Meanwhile, Caitlin was still on the run, and so her sister Christy was questioned by police, and she admitted that Caitlin had come to visit her in upstate New York for a few days, but she'd eventually dropped Caitlin off at Newark Airport so that she could fly back home. But Christy said that just after a few hours, Caitlin had called her back and said that she changed her mind and was going to drive back to Austin instead. Mm, this didn't make a whole lot of sense to officers. Why would she change her plans last minute to go from a four and a half hour flight to an almost 30 hour drive? Officers checked the airport flight details and couldn't find any evidence of Caitlin leaving Newark by plane. But the investigating team very quickly realised that Caitlin might have flown out on a different passport. She doesn't look too dissimilar from her sister Christy. And so they searched the database to find outgoing flights from Newark Airport, but this time under Christy's name. And they got a hit. There was a flight showing that Christy had travelled to Costa Rica. And officers knew they'd just spoken to Christy in upstate New York. And so it became clear what had happened and exactly where Caitlin was at. The US Marshals, however, were actually unable to track her down straight away. Even with the support from authorities in Costa Rica, 
it was proving incredibly difficult to locate Caitlin. The only information that they had to begin with was that she was staying in a hostel, but there were no specifics at this point and it took them a while longer to get in contact with all the right people and be pointed in Caitlin's direction. One big piece of information that they got was that Caitlin was now going by the name Beth and she was working at a yoga studio in a popular tourist destination. And so they headed straight out there, but they had no luck, at least not in finding Caitlin. What they did gain, though, was information about where else she may have gone to. And so they headed to this more remote village of Costa Rica called Santa Teresa. The detectives attempted to blend in in this small town in Costa Rica. Now, it was a relatively small population and there were many holiday goers there. So they just got dressed up to look as though they were tourists. And whilst they were there, there was this big surfing competition going on. So they went down there to try and seek Caitlin out. Alongside this, other officers are back at where she was staying at the, at the yoga studio. They managed to get access to her locker. And inside, they found a passport with a different name than what she'd been going by, as well as receipts for plastic surgery under the pseudonym of Alison Page. And that plastic surgery totaled $6,360. And they managed to actually get in contact with the surgeon. And the surgeon gave them pictures of Caitlin's bandaged face. And in these photos, she'd also cut her hair short and she dyed it from blonde to brown. Now this all tallied up with reports that had been on Caitlin wearing a bandage on her nose. At the time, she said that she'd just been in a surfing accident. No wonder the detectives hadn't been able to find her. She'd literally disguised herself with plastic surgery. But the detectives still weren't having any luck in actually locating Caitlin. And so they decided to get her to come to them. They'd spoken to a number of people about Caitlin during their time in Costa Rica. And a piece of information that they got was that Caitlin had been going under different names. They knew that and that she had applied for a position to teach at a yoga studio, but this specific yoga lodge had rejected her application. And they added that she exhibited quite secretive behavior, often only ever going out at night and not really hanging out with anyone. She didn't have any friends. With this information, detectives knew that she would be desperate for any kind of a yoga job. And so they put a yoga teacher advert out and it wasn't long before they got a bite. Now, this woman who messaged them was going by the name Ari and she was interested. She was based at Don John's Hostel in Santa Teresa and detectives knew that this could be Caitlin. And so they arranged to meet her. They tracked her down to a hostel. They walked inside and they saw someone who looked a little bit like Caitlin just standing in the hotel lobby. But the investigator couldn't quite work out if the brunette in front of him was in fact Caitlin. But remember, they don't want to make a scene in case it's not Caitlin. And Caitlin could just be around the corner and it could scare her off. And so the detective started talking to this woman in Spanish, knowing that if she genuinely was just a local, she'd be able to have a conversation with him. But instead, the woman couldn't speak to him and in fact got her phone out at one point and started trying to use Google Translate to talk to him. As this was happening, the detective got closer to her and even though her overall appearance was different, it was clear to him that it was Caitlin. And so she was arrested soon after that. 
It turned out the money that Caitlin had used to escape, which totaled over $450,000, was money that Colin had previously given to her as an investment. The day after she left the police questioning on the Botox warrant, she sold her car, gathered up as much money as she possibly could and fled to Costa Rica. The manhunt for Caitlin lasted around 40 days and when police found her and arrested her, they quickly got her back to Austin where she was charged and would eventually stand trial for murder. But before that trial could come, Caitlin actually managed to escape from custody. She was being escorted by some officers to a doctor's appointment in South Austin and the officers had turned around to get some paperwork from the doctor and the next thing they knew, she was gone. Video footage shows her running away and this chase lasted for around 10 to 15 minutes and at some point she removes her black and white prison issue trousers and was then just wearing thermals which were underneath and would have helped to disguise her as an inmate. Thankfully she was recaptured and brought back to prison where eventually her trial was held. That trial lasted for two weeks in which evidence was presented that the forensics of the bullet casings found at the crime scene were similar to the gun found at Caitlin and Colin's house. They managed to prove that there were they were from the same kind of gun but the defence then disputed that they couldn't prove that it was with certainty that the casings were from the same gun, which was true. There was no way to prove that. The defence also stated that although a rape kit had been done on Mo, it wasn't tested. And they argued this could hinder the case because it showed that the investigation hadn't looked at all avenues. Their main case really was that they believed confirmation bias had been at play the whole time and that the investigating team hadn't been doing all they could to look for other possible suspects beyond Caitlin. On top of this, the defence revealed to the court that there was no evidence proving that Caitlin was the person driving the Jeep. But Caitlin really didn't have a leg to stand on. Her alibi was that she was in other places doing other things, but the defence failed to prove any of this. And it doesn't explain why the car that she usually drove was seen circling the area surrounding Anna's home, especially that it was given as provable that Colin couldn't have been in the car because he was on his motorbike in that exact time frame. The prosecution believed that Caitlin was on Colin's laptop on that fateful day. They said that she was likely looking at the screen when Mo had texted Colin and that's when she knew that they were meeting. And they also believe that Caitlin had used an app called Strava, a running app, to track Colin's movements that day to find out where Colin and Mo were and eventually lead her to the apartment that night. Caitlin's DNA was even found on handlebars and the seat of Mo's bike, the one that had been dumped in that grassy area outside of the apartment. Finally, one of Caitlin's friends took the stand. She was someone she knew through the cycling community. She testified that she was out for dinner at one time with Caitlin and Caitlin had been upset because she knew that Mo was in town and that Colin would be seeing her. The friend then testified that Caitlin became, quote, visibly angry. And when she asked Caitlin what she'd do if Colin started dating someone else, she said, quote, I would kill her. The prosecution obviously presented all of their evidence, including the escape attempts, the plastic surgery, and the motive. 
and ultimately Caitlin was found guilty. She was given a $10,000 fine and sentenced to 90 years in prison. The maximum sentence for this that she could have got was 99 years and even though she wasn't given that full amount, the prosecution had only asked for a sentence of 40 plus years and so it's quite a statement that she was given 90 years. Mo's mum, Karen's victim impact statement was incredibly impactful and although it did of course show her anger towards Caitlin, it was more so focused on the kind of person Mo was and that if Caitlin had just spoken to her about this quote woman to woman, she would have listened. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of Red Rum. I appreciate you being here. Um, thank you so much for all of the recommendations you have given me in terms of books and films. I really appreciate it. Uh, I am currently reading... Had to run and get it. Um, this is Creep by Jennifer Hillier. I, I'm enjoying this. This is like one of her first books, I think. Um, I think it might be the first in a series. I've read some of her other stuff, Jar of Hearts, I really enjoyed. Um, but this is uh, a little bit different. It is a fast-paced thriller, so if you're into that, um, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, but it's a bit different to her other works. Um, other than that, that's all I've been reading at the minute. If you have any other recommendations of stuff to read or watch, let me know. Um, and if you've got any case suggestions, whack them down below. You can follow us on Instagram at Red Rum True Crime, at Red Rum True Crime Grace. And we're on Twitter and Facebook. I don't know why I say we, it's just me. Uh, and other than that, I'll see you next week for another episode of Red Rum. Bye.